Good morning. All right, I'm working on my energy this morning, so two cups of coffee in and I'm still trying. Okay, but we're talking about Hebrews today again. It's our summer reading series, and I don't know about y'all, but summer reading was always my favorite, unless it was a signed summer reading. Not a fan of that. Want me to read books through the summer? Oh yeah, I'm gonna do that. Want me to read Pride and Prejudice and Wuthering Heights and whatever else boring books you have? Actually, I like both those books, but you know, I can't remember the boring ones. So anyway, it's exciting. I can't tell if this summer reading is gonna be more like, yay, I get to read, or oh, I have to read yet. So far, so good, loving Hebrews. Um, I'm really excited to that we're doing Hebrews because it's um, actually like, part of the Bible I haven't spent a lot of time in. So for me, it's like I'm actually like learning a lot and I feel really engaged with it. So really excited. So Joel set us up last week introducing Hebrews, basically just doing the first four verses. And I'm gonna give a quick recap for those of you that weren't here or if like me, you kind of forget as the week goes on. Um, basically, the book of Hebrews, we don't know the author, and we don't know for certain the audience. We have some clues. Um, the, it's not a letter. A lot of times it's called letter to the Hebrews. It's more of a sermon. You can think about it that way, so it's funny that we're doing a sermon series on a sermon, but yeah, we are. Um, and we have been calling the author the preacher because of that. So you'll hear me say preacher instead of author. Um, and then, yeah, overall the message is about Jesus and how the scriptures point to Jesus. And um, that's kind of the big message that Joel gave last week and also talked about how God is speaking. God has been speaking um, throughout time and now through Jesus. And that's kind of the setup. And then in verse 4, um, it, it kind of goes into this whole thing about Jesus and the angels. Um, so even though today's verses start in five. I'm actually going to start in four. But um, So Jesus is spoken of in these passages not by the name Jesus, but as the Son of God. Um, that's um, basically the heavenly role that the preacher lays out is working with God from the beginning of creation and through whom God completes the work of redemption. So more than just Jesus's life on earth. Um, and we're going to kind of look more at the that heavenly role in this. Um, passage. So, yeah, that's where we're going to go. Um, right, phone. One of these is my phone, which is where my Bible is, because I don't want to bring an actual Bible. Um, all right, so if you will read along with me, if you can pull it up on your phone as well, I'm going to start in verse 4 of the first chapter through 14, so all of it. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. 
A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You, will, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment that will never be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? All right. hot okay okay so before we can dive too far into what the preacher is doing here I think we need to answer a basic question and that is what even are angels (laughs) so the images that come to mind if you close your eyes and you think angel are probably like a baby faced person with like a long white robe and a halo something of that nature If you are a fan of Doctor Who like me, you might see a terrifying stone creature instead, but that's just me. Um, Mostly the images you probably get are just this lovely and comforting kind of thing, right? Um, But if you pull up Google Images and type in biblically accurate angels, you'll find something different. And this is one of those sermons that as I'm preparing, I'm like, why are we not in the varsity with a PowerPoint? But you all have a phone, so I'm going to give you a minute to go Google biblically accurate angels. Just take a look at that picture. Yeah, yeah, it pops up, right? So looking at some of these images, you might suddenly understand why often when an angel appears in scriptures, the first thing they say is, do not be afraid, right? (laughs) It's pretty terrifying. Um, We actually have very few descriptions of what angels look like in scripture, and those that we um, do have are filled with a lot of symbolism, so they're hard to take literally. Um, what we what you get when you Google it is like built upon a few verses that basically say about all these eyes and wheels and things and heads and you're just like what is this thing basically Um, we don't know much about angels um, beyond what we have there but what we do know about them is that they are primarily seen in Scripture as messengers for God Um, In fact, the word angel actually means messenger. Um, We know these messengers are part of God's creation and that they have a different relationship to God than we do. They exist in the heavenly realm alongside God um, while we're here on earth. There are a lot of myths surrounding angels, so it can sometimes be difficult to separate those from scripture. Um, but we know they're a part of God's created order and are made to serve God's purposes and that there are a lot of them, though only a few are actually named in scripture. Um, there might be different ranks and types of angels, uh, and angels have a will, much like we do, but they're not like us. 
Um, beyond that, really, we can only speculate until we meet one face to face, right? But the author and preacher wants to make sure we know one thing about the angels, that they are not superior to Jesus, and Jesus is not like them. And so in order to demonstrate this point, as we were reading the passage, you would see that there's just a lot of back and forth scripture references, right? Essentially, it's about seven different Old Testament references that are most, mostly from the Psalms. Um, and the first two of these draw a connection to the special relationship between God and Jesus. And right, we talked about this, this role of the son. Um, and those are when um, it says, you know, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and I will be his father and he will be my son. And both of these were used often in the early church to illustrate the relationship between God and Jesus. And they're commonly linked to the story of Jesus' baptism, right? When a voice from the sky declares over Jesus, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And so the preacher makes the point that this familial language is never used to describe God's relationship with any angel and the great use of the rhetorical, right? Um, and then the preacher goes on to detail more about this heavenly order. God uh, is described as having mastery over the angels, much like God's mastery over any other element, putting them to use the same as God does, like the fire or the wind. Whereas the Son is described as being anointed and sovereign, sitting at the right hand of God, the angels are the worshipers, and the Son is the object of the worship. So that is kind of how these scriptures are weaved together to make that distinction. And that's basically what the passage says. So the thing that's interesting about this is you think about, um, when you think about why, why, why is he making this point? What, what's going on here, right? Um, so Joel talked about this a little bit in his introduction to the book of Hebrews as well, um, about who, what we do know about this audience that the preacher is giving this sermon to. Like I said, we don't know exactly who it was, but from the book and context that we get, um, we know it's an early Christian community, though a couple generations removed from Jesus and the apostles. And it's really likely that they are converted Jews, um, given the preacher's constant use of the Hebrew scripture. I mean, we see that here like seven different times to make his point. We, we think they would probably be familiar with these scriptures and this language, right? Um, and it's really likely that, um, oh, that they were experiencing persecution for their faith. Um, there's a lot of talk in there about overcoming persecution. We know that was happening at the time. And we know that they're suffering because of it and they're struggling. Um, and so the preacher is crafting this sermon specifically to encourage them through this time of suffering. And so he starts with the angels, right? Why? Well, likely the problem that he's encountering and what they're facing was less about that they were having this high view of angels and confusing angels with Jesus, and more that they weren't having a high enough view of Jesus. Travel with me for a minute. So, I'm a white Christian evangelical woman in America. I, I cannot even begin to relate to what persecution looks like and suffering. Like, I'm just gonna not even try. 
um, to relate to this community in that way. However, um, the more I was thinking about these, these people and what they're dealing with and how they're feeling and trying to relate to that, um, I did find I did find something um, that I related to, and, and maybe you can too, and if not, that's okay. I'll just be a little vulnerable with me. Um, but what we, what we can see and what we can feel in it is that they were tired of fighting for their faith. And they had lost sight of who Jesus was. Under Roman rule, uh, the Jews they were uh, used to being the underdogs, right? Um, they, but they still had a relatively safe place to exist in society. But as followers of the resurrected Jesus, they lost even that. How great the temptation must have been to want to just go back to being a Jew, right? Like, can I just let go of this Jesus thing and, and, and have a place? Um, and then to deny that Jesus was anything more than a prophet, to worship a God that stayed in heaven and did not invite them to go through this suffering, right? That's where the wrestling is. So confession time. Sometimes I wonder if life would be easier if I didn't believe in this, right? I don't know persecution. Like I said, I'm not going to pretend to, but I do know how hard it is for me anyway to hold on to hope against the evils of this world. If I could just let go of this whole Jesus thing, I could give in to the nihilism like the rest of the... Oh, no. We lost me. Okay. Let's go back. Hi. It's me. Um, okay. So, yeah. I think, like, if I could, like, let go of this and the temptation is real, real to give in to meaninglessness, right? Um, like the rest of my meme-making millennials. <laughs> Hi. It's me. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to my dark existential thoughts. And if you didn't already know, yes, I used to be an emo kid. But it's harder to surrender to the darkness when you have experienced the light of Christ. The hope of Jesus' message that is fulfilled not in his suffering and death, but in his resurrection, right? It's a whole story. And so, and, and that promise that I, I cling to, that all will be made right. No, is it worse now? That's all right, that's all right. You'll get there. I so perfectly crafted my words and the technology ruined everything. Get away, Satan. Thankfully, I'm calm in crisis, so, and this is not crisis. <laughs> okay. So anyway, that's, that's kind of a place where I relate and where I kind of see that, that struggle and that fight. It's more, for me, an internal fight, right? Um, and I don't know, maybe some of you experience that too or experience that in a different way. Um, but yeah. The thing about this sermon here and why he's starting with the angels and where Jesus is with the angels is actually um, something he's setting up as a common sermon motif 
um, that we see employed, employed elsewhere in early Christian writings, especially in Paul's letters, and it's called the parabola of salvation. And basically we see it as this big U-shaped line, okay? And that's actually a mathematical term. I studied theology and not mathematics. And so the best I can do without, you know, visual is to say it's a big U, okay? What it does and how it works and what the equation is, I don't know. But for this purpose, right, what we see is he's starting at the top of this U on one side, on the left side here. And basically, this is who Jesus is as the Son, this heavenly role that existed before the incarnation. And that's where he's speaking from to say, build Jesus up. Like Jesus is higher than the angels. The Son is with the Father, seated at the Father's right hand, right? But then as things go on, the you will slowly start to dive down as we talk about the incarnation and holiness taking flesh and then further down as Jesus's suffering and death is described. But then we have the conquering of death and sin, the resurrection, and finally ascension where Jesus returns to that heavenly role and reigns at the right hand of God, thus completing the you. See, the people hearing this understood what holiness was. They already had a high view of God being a Jewish congregation. And now they really understood suffering and, and what it meant for Jesus to suffer and die. They, they could see that Jesus. I think what they desperately needed reminding of was how Jesus is both the holiest of holies reigning in heaven and also experience suffering and death. They needed reminding of um, that he, why he is worthy of their worship, even if that meant they would suffer for it. And so the point this passage is leading to, this is just the beginning, and, and hopefully I'm not um, cutting way too much into what Justin's going to talk about next week. Sorry, Justin, in Hebrews 2, but to make a sermon that had a lovely point, I had to skip ahead. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd just be talking about angels, which is also lovely and educational. Um, but yeah, the point this passage is leading to is that Jesus does not simply stay with the angels and rule from heaven, right? So we set up that this is where Jesus is to lead to the point of where Jesus goes and what he comes through, right? Jesus had to pass through suffering and death in order to become the triumphant king that we so desperately needed. And that's precisely what makes him so worthy of worship and worth the cost to follow him. And that's the message that was needed. And I think for me, sometimes I need to remember that too, in the face of hopelessness, that there is hope, that Jesus was triumphant, that Jesus didn't stay here or here, but now Jesus is over here, right? Okay, so we're going to move on to a time of communion. I try to keep it short because it's hot, y'all. Um, I love being outside. It's so peaceful. I'm sorry to complain. I love nature. <laughs> um, so an interesting thing you may not know, we used to do communion um, every week just during the summer. Um, and then um, like during the year, 
like regular year, it was like once a month or something. I don't remember. And a lot of churches do that. Um, and then like seven or eight years ago, we decided to just continue serving communion every Sunday throughout the year because we really could feel the difference that it made doing it every Sunday, which is very interesting. It's just something that a lot of you probably don't know that I thought was, was worth sharing. Um, and I think part of that is because this table calls us to remember who we worship, right? A God that did not stay in heaven, but dove into the mess of this life who is broken in body and shed literal blood for us, who then sat in the darkness of death, but who rose triumphant above all those things and calls us to follow them and to share in their triumph, right? Yeah, so you're invited to this table um, to do just that. And I forgot to ask who's serving today, Joel, okay. Joel's going to come up and do it. So if you haven't done communion with us, basically you're going to come this way, that way, okay, and take off a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup, okay? And then you can partake in that. You can go back to your seat and pray if you want to first. I like to do that sometimes. And there's a gluten-free option available if you need that as well. So you are all invited to come.